This is the Behind the Line Podcast, coming to you from the wacky left coast capital of Seattle. News from the Pacific Northwest, the left coast, the U.S., and the world that matters. The stories the MSM won't talk about. Deciphering the truth through all the lies. For more, visit BehindTheLinePodcast.com. Things are heating up in the Middle East. The U.S. on Friday began to carry out strikes against Iran-backed militants and Iranian military targets in Iraq and Syria in retaliation for a drone strike on an American base in Jordan on January 28th that killed three U.S. service members. Dozens of other American troops were wounded in the drone attack on the Tower 22 base near Jordan's border with Iraq and Syria. The U.S. says Iran is responsible for funding and arming the militants while Iran is denied involvement. President Biden quickly warned that America would respond forcefully, escalating U.S. involvement in the Middle East after months of trying to contain tensions from boiling over into a broader war in the region. U.S. Central Command Forces conducted what CENTCOM said was a strike in self-defense against a Houthi land attack cruise missile earlier on Sunday. CENTCOM confirmed the incident, which it said was due to an imminent threat, happened at 10.30 a.m. local time. U.S. forces hit four anti-ship cruise missiles in Houthi-controlled areas of Yemen, which it says were prepared to launch against ships in the Red Sea. CENTCOM said the threat was to U.S. Navy ships and merchant vessels in the area. These actions will protect freedom of navigation and make international waters safer and more secure for U.S. Navy vessels and merchant vessels, CENTCOM said in a release Sunday night. The militaries of the U.S. and U.K. launched strikes against 36 Houthi targets in Yemen with support from Australia, Bahrain, Canada, Denmark, the Netherlands, and New Zealand, the country said in a joint statement Saturday. The strikes targeted 13 locations in Yemen in response to the Houthis' continued attacks against international and commercial shipping, as well as naval vessels transitioning the Red Sea, the statement said. The precision strikes are intended to disrupt and degrade the capabilities that the Houthis use to threaten global trade and the lives of innocent mariners, mariners, and in response to a series of illegal, dangerous, and destabilizing Houthi actions since previous coalition strikes on January 11th and 22nd, including the January 27th attack, which struck and set ablaze the Marshall Islands flagged oil tanker MD Marlin Luanda, said the statement said. The Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, a group which reports on war in Syria, confirmed that 29 members of Iranian militias were killed in airstrikes on 28 positions. Separately, Iraq's Popular Mobilization Forces, a state security force including Iran-backed groups, said that 16 of its members were killed, including fighters and medics. In a statement on Saturday, the Hezbollah terrorist organization strongly condemned the U.S. strikes on Iraq and Syria and extended its sympathies for the lives lost. What the United States of America did is a blatant violation of sovereignty of the two countries, an attack on their security and territorial integrity, and a shameless violation of all international and humanitarian laws, Hezbollah said. Wow. Well, aren't they ones to talk about violating those types of laws? They do it every day. The new aggression contributes to destabilizing the region and creating false justifications and pretexts for the continuation of American occupation of several regions in Iraq and Syria, 
against the will of their people who yearn for freedom and independence. Oh yeah, Hezbollah is all about freedom and independence, are they not? And if you look on the social media accounts of these twits, Hezbollah and uh, the Houthis, you'll see that they're all about retaliation and talking about getting the U.S. back. So we'll see. But you know things are going to escalate there. There's really only one way to deal with roaches. CENTCOM went on to say that forces conducted airstrikes on more than 85 targets in Iraq and Syria against Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps, Quds Force, and affiliated militia groups. The 85 targets included command and control operations, intelligence centers, militia groups, rockets, missiles, unmanned vehicle storages, and supply chain facilities. All of Friday's airstrikes and Saturdays were conducted by U.S. warplanes, not Navy vessels, according to a senior defense official. Since these... Uh, missile strikes over the weekend. There's been another drone attack in eastern Syria at a base that houses some U.S. troops. Six allied Kurdish fighters were killed late Sunday by a drone attack on the base. This is the first significant attack in Syria or Iraq since the U.S. launched the missile strikes against Iran-backed militias. The U.S.-backed Kurdish-led Syrian Democratic Forces, the SDF, said Monday they attacked a training ground at Al-Omar base in Syria's eastern province, where the forces' commando units are trained. No casualties were reported among U.S. troops. Islamic resistance in Iraq has claimed responsibility. So, apparently, these jokers didn't get the message over the weekend. Here's something you probably didn't hear about last week. China and Russia conducted a joint naval operation near U.S. territory earlier last week, triggering a large response from the U.S. Navy. The joint operation, conducted by two significant American adversaries, consisted of 11 ships and neared Alaska's southwestern coast, according to Senator Dan Sullivan, Alaska, who was briefed on the matter earlier this week by U.S. defense officials. Sullivan said the U.S. Navy ultimately mobilized four destroyers to guide the Chinese and Russian ships away from the American waters. This is unprecedented in terms of the size and scope of this joint naval task force between Russia and China working very closely together, Sullivan told Fox in a phone interview late Saturday. Whether you live in Alaska like I do or the east coast of the United States, a very large surface action task force between our two main adversaries probing very closely to the United States shores is concerning. In addition to the four destroyers mobilized, the U.S. also sent P-8 Poseidon aircraft to shadow the Chinese and Russian ships away from the Alaskan coast, according to the Wall Street Journal. The ships neared the Aleutian Islands but never entered U.S. territorial waters. Sullivan added that the American response was considerably improved compared to a similar, albeit smaller, incident that occurred in September. The U.S. sent a single Coast Guard cutter after it noticed a Chinese guided missile cruiser alongside two other Chinese ships and four Russian ships about 90 miles north of the Aleutian Islands on September 9th of 2022. The White House didn't immediately respond to a request for comment. The Pentagon referred Fox to the U.S. Northern Command, which also didn't immediately respond to a request for comment. It's a historical first. 
Brent Sadler, a senior research fellow at the Heritage Foundation, told the Wall Street Journal. Given the context of the war in Ukraine and tensions around Taiwan, this move is highly provocative. They're probing. They're probing to see what our response is going to be. Just like with the balloon, they were probing. They're just waiting for the right time. When we're spread thin, and it's getting that way, as this stuff ramps up in the Middle East and we start sending resources there, we're going to be spread thin. Interestingly enough, last Monday, before this little incursion by Russia and China, the U.S. State Department was brushing off reports that Russian uh, President Vladimir Putin signed a decree to look into reclaiming what he deems former Russian real estate, including Alaska. Let me just understand that he signed something today that said the sale of Alaska is illegitimate. Well, I speak for all of us in the U.S. government to say that certainly he is not getting it back, said State Department Principal Deputy Spokesperson Vedant Patel at his daily briefing when asked about the reported decree. According to the Russian state news agency TASS, Putin signed a degree on Friday, last Friday, well, Friday before last week, to allocate funds to the Russian Department of Foreign Property of the Administrative Directorate of the President of the Russian Federation, that's a mouthful, to cover the process of searching the real estate property owned by the Russian Federation, the former Russian Empire, the former USSR, as well as for due registration of property rights and legal protection of this property. It is unclear if Putin had his sights set on Alaska, but the Institute for the Study of War, an American think tank, noted on Friday that a prominent mill blogger responded to the decree by implausibly calling for Russia to start enacting the law in Alaska and throughout a significant portion of Eastern Europe, the Caucasus, and Central Asia. During a 2014 question-and-answer session, Putin, when asked if he had plans regarding the annexation of Alaska, described the 1867 sale at $7.2 million as inexpensive. The prospect of a Moscow reclaiming Alaska was also referenced by Russian political politician Sergei Marinov as recently as December, when he reacted on X to Venezuela approving a referendum to take over neighboring oil-rich Esquibo region, region controlled by Guyana. Do you want a new world order? Receive and sign. Venezuela annexed a 24th state, Guyana Esquibo. This is happening right under the nose of the once great hegemon of the United States. All that remains is for Mexico to return Texas and the rest. It's time for Americans to think about their future and also about Alaska, he wrote on December 6th. Back at home, the war on gun control rages. A Democratic Tennessee lawmaker introduced legislation that would impose a thoughts and prayers tax on the sale of firearms in the state. State Rep. Bo Mitchell's bill would impose a 15% sales tax on firearms sold at retail with the proceeds going to the Tennessee Department of Education to help hire school counselors. Tongue-in-cheek, I made it AR 15%, Mitchell told the news. I call it the thoughts and prayers tax. If we're going to do nothing else in this state, we're going to put this taxation to a fund to fund K-12 mental health counselors for our children. 
if we don't solve this problem, we're going to need a lot more mental health counselors in our schools, either for the school shooting or for the children who go home and the guns are unsecured at home and they either shoot themselves or their neighbor's children. It's either we act or do something or we're going to have to start taxing to pay for other problems it's causing, he added. It's a little dramatic, I would say. I don't think kids are going to go home and shoot themselves or the neighbor kids. Maybe, just maybe, you should address the mental health problems that all of these school shooters have. Or maybe put security at the schools to dissuade these people from attacking the schools, which are a soft target. If these schools had school security, these shootings wouldn't happen because these shooters don't want to engage anybody with a gun. That's why they pick schools. The legislation faces slim chances of success, however, as Republicans hold a supermajority in the state's General Assembly. Well, that's good for Tennessee, but in states like Washington, Oregon, and California, these laws pass with ease because the Democrats hold majority. All these Democrat states have a lot of anti-gun legislation or laws in effect, and it doesn't do any good. Although they claim that it does, they claim they're saving lives, but it's really doing no good. Washington, Oregon, and California, crime is spiking significantly, as well as states on the East Coast or Chicago, which is like a war zone, even though it's an anti-gun zone. These laws don't work because they don't address the root problems, crime and mental health. If you'd address the criminals properly, sentence them, actually send them to jail, have strict consequences, if you'd address the mental health issues these people all have, maybe something could be done about it. But until they decide, until they open their eyes that this is the problem, nothing is going to change. In a similar story, gun owners in Maryland would be required to buy at least $300,000 in liability insurance or forfeit their ability to carry a firearm under a new bill. The controversial legislation introduced by Delegate Terry Hill, a Democrat from Howard County, said it would prohibit the wear or carry of a gun anywhere in the state unless the individual has obtained a liability insurance policy of at least $300,000. A person may not wear or carry a firearm unless the person has obtained it and is covered by liability insurance issued by an insurer authorized to do business in the state under the insurance article to cover claims for property damage, bodily injury, or death arising from an accident resulting from the person's use or storage of a firearm or up to $300,000 for damages arising from the same incident in addition to interest and costs, the proposed Maryland legislation said. The insurance requirement would not apply to members of the military or federal law enforcement officers. Federal law enforcement officers. There is also an insurance exemption if a gun is unloaded. So regular law enforcement would have to have this as well. Interestingly enough, the Supreme Court made a decision that said Maryland and other states could not require a good or substantial reason to get a permit shall not be infringed. You cannot require insurance. There's nothing about that in the Second Amendment. You cannot require these things to outprice people from obtaining a weapon. And this law, like all other gun laws, will not apply to criminals because they don't follow those laws. 
So basically you're looking to either price people, law-abiding people out of being able to protect themselves, or you're going to force them to be criminals because they're going to continue to carry anyway to protect themselves. All of these laws target law-abiding people. That is the big problem with them. You're not going to the root causes of these, these problems, which is crime, criminals. These criminals who are being turned loose repeatedly onto the streets to terrorize people. This stuff has to stop. Washington State is trying to pass a similar law to this. This is something these Democrats, I think, get together and decide to do as a group in these blue states. Washington State wants you to have uh, insurance policy on your homeowner's or renter's insurance that would cover accidents with guns in your home, or you couldn't have a weapon in your home if you don't have it on your homeowner's policy. And of course, that's an extra expense if your homeowner's insurance will even cover stuff like that, which, which many don't. So then you're in a, in a situation where can you even find insurance coverage if that's what you had to do? So, of course, they're trying to make it difficult. California was trying to require background checks to buy ammunition. Luckily, a, f a federal judge shot that down. Washington State wants to enact an, an ammo tax, 11%. We already have assault weapon bans, high capacity, high capacity meaning more than 10 rounds, bans. They just can't stop taking your rights away. And in states where you have liberal judges, they just push this stuff through without difficulty. Ignoring Supreme Court rulings, ignoring the Constitution of the United States, and forcing people to have to file lawsuits to fight it. And then having judges that interpret the Constitution in their own special way. What part of shall not be infringed do you not understand? U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, arrested at least a dozen illegal immigrants with previous charges or convictions related to child exploitation following a national operation, the agency confirmed Friday. The arrests were made in Alaska, Washington State, Oregon, and Texas. At least 171 illegal immigrants have been arrested in 25 cities nationwide with pending charges or convictions for murder, homicide, or sexual assault against children. Non-citizens who commit repugnant acts at the expense of children will not be allowed to claim our great nation as their home, ISIS enforcement and removal operations. Seattle Field Officer Director Drew Bostock said in a, in a release. He added the arrests ERO Seattle made during the national operation are an example of the constant contributions we make locally to keep the U.S. safe from child predators. The nationwide investigation dubbed Operation Night Guard was conducted January 16th to the 28th. Yeah, well, in states like Washington, Oregon, and California, the governors have directed local law enforcement not to work with ICE, not to assist ICE, not to provide information with ICE, not to release inmates held in custody to ICE, because those governors apparently support abusing children and killing people, their own citizens. These people never should have been allowed in the U.S. in the first place. If they were vetting people coming across the border, this wouldn't happen.
In fiscal year 2023, the ERO arrested 73,822 migrants with criminal charges including sexual assault, homicide, and kidnapping. Are you kidding me? That's only the ones they caught, the ones they know about. 73,000, 74,000 basically. And these Democrats and these libs who want the open borders don't see this as a problem, don't care, don't care about public safety, don't care about citizens of the United States who are suffering at the expense for what purpose? This open border thing has got to stop. No other country in the world has open borders. Just us. Now, Biden has come out in recent weeks and said that he's ready to do what it takes at the border. He's ready to do the right thing after three years, four years now of having her wide open. He's willing to do the right thing if Republicans will just pass his national security, security supplemental package. A $118.28 billion package. And here's what he wants in exchange for securing our border. $60 billion to support Ukraine as it fights Russia. $14.41 billion in security assistance for Israel. $2.44 billion to support operations in the U.S. Central Command and address combat expenditures related to conflict in the Red Sea. $10 billion in humanitarian assistance to provide food, water, shelter, medical care, and, and other essential services to civilians in Gaza and the West Bank, Ukraine, and other populations caught in conflict zones across the globe. $4.83 billion to support key regional partners in the Indo-Pacific and deter aggression by the Chinese government. $2.33 billion to continue support for Ukrainians displaced by Putin's war of aggression and other refugees fleeing persecution. The bipartisan border policy changes negotiated by Senators Chris Murphy, Democrat, Kristen Sinema, Arizona, and James Lankford, Oklahoma. $20.23 billion to address existing operational needs and expand capabilities at our nation's borders. Resource the new border policies, including in the package, and help stop the flow of fentanyl and other narcotics. The Fentanyl Education and Narcotics Deterrence of Fentanyl Act. $400 million for the Nonprofit Security Grant Program to help nonprofits and places of worship make security enhancements. Well, doesn't that sound sweet? All that money to help other people in other countries when you've got people here in the United States hurting. Just close the border. You don't need all that other stuff to do one simple thing and keep this country secure and protect its people. And maybe use all that money for people here at home who need help because of your policies, because of the inflation, because of job losses. All those things you claim aren't happening that we live with on the daily. So all told, Biden wants 113, well, basically $114 billion to close the border so he can give all that $114 billion to a bunch of other countries. $114 billion of your tax dollars. 
Oh yeah, and if you're curious about what the nonprofit security program is, well, here's some little background for you. FEMA created the nonprofit security program to provide assistance to nonprofits targeted and or threatened by terrorist organizations. The intent was to help targeted organizations in high threat areas of the country, our country. It was not to provide funds for people who defend terrorists. In 2009, the School of Islamic Studies of Broward Incorporated was awarded $50,000 by a FEMA grant intended to assist those nonprofit organizations targeted by terrorist groups. In 2010, SISB changed its name to the Islamic Foundation of South Florida. For anyone keeping up on counterterrorism, this is a bell ringer. South Florida was the home of self-confessed terrorist funder Sami al-Arain, alleged leader of the Palestinian Jihad, a terrorist group that worked hand-in-hand with Hamas, a self-declared chapter of the Muslim Brotherhood. The Islamic Foundation of South Florida, formerly known as SISB, had the same principal agent, Karam Basir Wahid. Wahid is a lawyer well-known for doing one thing, defending those charged with terrorism. Wahid is also on a terrorist watch list. Joe Kaufman wrote about Karam Basir Wahid this past June in an article on Front Page Magazine. Kaufman noted that Wahid had a history of defending terrorists with ambitions. Wahid is also connected to the Florida chapter of the Council of American Islamic Relations, CARE, which is a national organization which posted on its website urging mosques in the United States to apply for these DHS security grants. This money is going directly to Muslims and Muslim terrorists with ties to Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood operating right here in the good old United States. And and Biden wants to give them money too. What do you think they'll do with all those millions of dollars? with their brothers being bombed in the Middle East and things ramping up in the Middle East, do you think they might want to get a little payback? They're already here in the U.S. Our own government wants to fund them. Do you see a problem with this? Thank you for listening to the Behind the Line podcast. If you like this broadcast, please like and share it. Please follow us on Facebook, Rumble, YouTube, Twitter, Truth Social, Telegram, Gab, Parlor, and LinkedIn. You can find our podcast at theonlinepodcast.com, netnewsnetwork.net, and on Anchor, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and anywhere podcasts can be found. Thank you for your support.